Howdy, end users, and welcome to episode seven of this podcast. That's just me, David Blue, speaking to my phone. It's been five months since the first of May. Well, a little over five months since you last heard from me. Since then, I've gone back to school for the first time in seven years, which has been a lot more interesting technologically than uh, I certainly expected. Don't worry, an essay is coming, but uh, I probably should wait till the end of the academic year, you know, just so I can be free with everything. Um, I bought a desktop. I didn't build one, I bought one. Interestingly enough, Hewlett Packard sells, uh, I guess, office-ish targeted desktop PCs with um, high specs in every area, but video card, video memory. I don't really need to play a video game. Although, yeah. So I bought a, a desktop that's um, pretty powerful in every way, except uh, it's just got an integrated video card, which has virtually, well, not very much power at all. Um, I've delved into some new terms, heavy terms, maybe pretentious terms, like digital gardens and I think it's sort of my own. This is unironic, creative wellness. I'm not exactly sure what that means yet, but I've encountered a lot of genuinely inspiring things on the internet in this time of sickness. Um, I'm reading a book that has brought me more joy than any has in a very long time called Track Changes, A Literary History of Word Processing that was published in 2016 by an English professor, Matthew G. Kirschenbaum, um, which I will be writing about. And I have delved into Notion and uh, the Adobe Creative Cloud, both because, did I say cloud on? The Adobe Creative Cloud. Um, is my jacket, I think my jacket's leather is, I'm not gonna bother to take it off. You're just gonna have to deal with the creaking. But anyway, so both of those, both Notion and Adobe Creative Cloud, I was able to do because the discounts enabled by my .edu email that I get for going to school. It's a handy thing. Um, and because of that, I've at least committed to learning InDesign, like fairly systematically. I've been thinking about working with Python, but I don't wanna talk about that. I'm gonna talk about a few things. I wanna talk about the social dilemma. I wanna talk about waste, digital gluttony. Um, yet again, my episode about network, network withdrawals is uh, exactly two years old now. Oh, yes, I'm gonna talk about WordPress, I'm sorry. Uh, programming note, end user has made me a dollar and 58 cents so far in advertising revenue. I know I once committed to never putting ads in podcasts, but hey, it's Anchor, I wanna try it, I like Anchor. Uh, nobody else is offering sponsorships. There's a link if you want to support me. Can't imagine why you would. Um, but let's let's do this in a relatively organized manner since I do have show notes. So my newfound use of Notion, which if you didn't know is, well, it's hard to describe, but it's, I guess when it comes down to it, it's basically a database software. Um, it's a note-taking service. Uh, it's one of those things just like, okay, so originally with Bear, my beloved Bear that I can't use, uh, it's one of those things that I like spent a few months downloading on my phone and on my computer Then I would open it, look at it and be like, oh, oh, Jesus. And be overwhelmed and then close it and then uninstall it. I did that like three times, no exaggeration, before I actually sat down and looked at what it was. With Bear, I think it's just like the default theme. But anyway, um, so going back to school, just a community college for an associate's degree, uh, I have done that. I kind of committed to doing that since I got the notion uh, they offer a basically their their premium service, not their enterprise one, but their premium service for free to students, which is cool. Um, 
So I was just like, I'll do just do school in Notion. So I set up a database um, for the semester and hooked it up to um, my school's learning management software, which is Canvas. This is all new to me, by the way. I had no idea that learning management software existed until I entered this. I had no idea how much, just how much more digitized uh, this process going to school, even in a community college, um, has become since I last went just seven years ago. Um, I guess it's partially because of COVID, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting subject. Uh, and I'm looking forward to like really exploring it. Notion being one of those tools for for academics, and it's explicitly for academia. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, they, they do YouTube live events and invite academics on to show off their Notion templates. I could do a whole episode on Notion. I'm going to try not to. Um, but yeah, so that's an integral part of that whole thing. Uh, oh yeah, I was talking about integration. So Canvas, the learning management software, um, has a calendar and there's a public calendar feed. And I, uh, it's easy to just subscribe to that calendar feed in Outlook or Google Calendars, which I did both several times, I managed to figure out eventually that it was not easy how to go from Canvas to Google Calendars and then from Google Calendars to Notion. Because in Notion, you can't subscribe to a calendar feed, but you can um, integrate Google Calendars. It's not automated yet. I don't know if I'll make it automated, but someone probably has. Uh, And the experience has been, I don't know. My sister asked me, like, is it good or bad? I... I don't know if the I'm uh, referring to the the increased digitization of going to school. I think that I, or at least I feel like I have way more control over my school experience. Um, let's see. I need to condense this. Uh, some interesting. <laughs> so you can submit assignments in Canvas. Uh, it literally integrates directly with Google Drive, but I'm not doing that. Um, in basically any file format, and you can submit multiple files for a submission. So. And professors, my professors at least so far, have been really ambiguous about what file format they prefer. Um, so I would just take the Notion page of, say, a source analysis uh, and export it in all the, f- the formats that Notion offers, which is HTML, Markdown, and PDF, and just send them all. I think my American history professor said that he prefers the PDF, so I'm just... Um, I also sent one Notion page that he literally just said, I don't understand this. And gave me a zero. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, I can't communicate to you how different it is. I uh, largely because of, because of COVID. Yes, I, I would be, I wish I could um, take out COVID for a second and just do a hypothetical and see how much it's changed or it would have changed otherwise. Uh, but well, one thing I've noticed is that my classmates, uh, for one thing, 18, uh, I'm going to turn 27 in a few months, 18 to 27, um, at least from my experiences, is such a vast difference. Uh, I, I'm i not any better or wiser other than, I guess, as I've gotten older, I, I just feel like I know less and less. And now I've reached the conclusion that I know absolutely nothing. But when I was 18, I thought I knew everything. This is not this is something you've heard a billion times before. Anyway, the dismaying thing is that my peers, um, my 18-year-old peers, seem to be terrible at Googling. Um, And the one skill that I've, I shouldn't say Googling, using a search engine. Um, And that one skill, being able to use a search engine, has saved, well, it's basically the reason I'm passing geology at all. Uh, And doing it quickly. Um, My understanding of the web that I've gained is just such a, like, helps me tremendously. even though I'm not taking any technological classes. Anyway, you can actually view all of this by going to 
davidblue.wtf slash wiki. That's the other thing. Uh, my landing page is a personal wiki. But yeah, I'm really just taking it too far with Notion. We might come back to that. Um, recently, what I published yesterday on bilge.world, which by the way, now has updated typography, Caslon Bilge, Caslon Bilge, thanks to Adobe Creative Cloud. Um, I published a, a bit on The Social Dilemma, the popular documentary on Netflix. Um, let me try to succinctly say, you know what, I'm gonna, you're gonna hear some clicking. I'm gonna go into my notes document real quick um, and note two things on that film. Assuming that The Social Dilemma is targeted toward people who didn't already know this, like people who use the web, but basically, and like have heard the terms, have seen the court proceedings, know that uh, Facebook, Google, um, yeah, basically those two are, doing something vaguely bad. They're having a bad effect. Uh, maybe they, they've they probably heard it associated with the outcome of the 2016 election and um, whether, however they feel about that. Uh, but don't really understand the inner workings of ad tech advertising, uh, the word we use. Um, I can't imagine that any of those are listening. I, I would love they were, but I kind of intended to write this bit, this commentary to those people. Uh, I hope I at least reached one. But there's two essential points I want to make about the film. So in the film, Peter Campbell, the actor that plays Peter Campbell in Mad Men, uh, plays a um, puppeteer of a sort. So it's a documentary, but there's all, there's also this dramatization of, uh, well, let's focus on one character, a teenage boy using his phone. And God, I don't know film jargon, but like depicted uh, like behind the screen of his phone is is Peter Campbell, multiples of Peter Campbell at this control console, um, manipulating uh, the kid through his phone by like making changes and like throwing out like, oh, he did this. So I'm gonna throw up a follow suggestion. Um, and this is a really dangerous depiction as funny as it is because it's directly misleading as to the actual dangers of the behind the, the, the yeah, the behind the screen stuff from social media. Um, in that it sort of seems to suggest that there's a human intelligence, that it is a human intelligence, Peter Campbell, uh, multiples of Peter Campbell, that are literally sitting down per user and, and looking at a user's activity in real time, um, like, and manipulating it. And that is just blatantly false. Uh, it is 99.999% uh, well, the chances of a human being ever setting their eyes upon the activity data that any of these uh, online services collect is so remote. It doesn't happen in the normal, just straight up doesn't happen. Your data is anonymized um, almost immediately because essentially there's no, like they just change your name into a ID number, basically. There's no incentive for them to actually know you. There is an incentive for them to know um, you as a data point but doesn't actually come back to your real life. I don't know if that made sense. Um, the danger is not that there are people looking at your data, okay? That's how I would define uh, the reason why privacy is kind of a, like, a word that I think is particularly like we need to throw out. Um, it was way over-focused on by this film. Uh, my, I guess my definition of my personal privacy is not violated by my activity being collected, uh, anonymized, and then only ever analyzed by human eyes as part of um, a data set that includes tens of thousands of other users or more. Like just if no human eyes ever set are like ever set upon my activity, my privacy has not been breached. And in watching this film, I realized, and maybe I knew it before, I guess I, because I, in 2015, I actually made a, a, a big deal about when Google was like, 
hey, so we've been collecting this data about you, but if we collect some more, there was an opt-in. I just clicked everything, I opted in everything to, as kind of an experiment. Um, I think the trade of my activity as part of a greater um, data set, uh, trading that in order to use services for free, um, like I'm okay with that. I'm still okay with that. Uh, Cambridge Analytica was definitely like kind of the inevitable controversy <laughs> to happen. Honestly though, okay, uh, personal, it's worth noting that even if someone did set eyes upon my activity, uh, I, I wouldn't be bothered to be honest. I just don't, I don't do anything <laughs> that I feel the need to conceal. I am, it's the other direction. I would almost love it if uh, someone would against, like some Google employee would, would go rogue and spy on me because it would mean that they'd be reading my essays and listening to my podcast. Um, so that's, I guess that's a disclaimer I should make. Anyway, that that's so wrong. Just forget if you're that person who, this is like uh, very educational for you, that film, please disregard the Peter Campbell. That's just bullshit. It's bullshit fiction. Um, my other problem, and the one that I should have spent all this time on, is, so the film was created, I should note up front that I discovered that this foundation that created the film, and it is one foundation, is supported by Firefox. That's Mozilla Firefox is a private company, private for-profit company. That's important to note. That makes a, a web browser. Uh, important to note going forward. So my big thing throughout the entire thing, uh, all the criticisms, however relevant I may believe them to be, of the internet, technology, ad tech, our general technological situation right now, um, the thing that was not mentioned are there are alternatives to every single one of the services mentioned and more. And not just, I mean, they're small, not just like recent ones. They're like, there are projects that have been going on, some of them for decades, uh, alternatives to services like Google search. Um, you've probably seen DuckDuckGo uh, billboards. I was like utterly flabbergasted to see one along the interstate. Um, DuckDuckGo is, is like an alternative that's become visible. Bing, you know, Bing. Uh, I ooh, Actually, I should probably talk about that at some point. Um, but there's also this, like the one that I would love to offer up to you as an alternative to Google search. It's called Ecosia. It's a German project um, that, well, basically the more you search, they go and they plant trees. Like they go, like not the developers don't go literally out in galoshes and go and dig holes and plant trees, but they send that money to um, organizations that plant trees. Uh, just you have to look it up. Akoja, um, you can see like all, like where all the money goes. You search, it makes use of Bing's search shit. Um, the compromises, well, in some ways, and I could do another podcast about search engines entirely in the state of them. I don't know if you've noticed, I know a lot of uh, people in my sphere have, but in the past few years, Google has gotten really useless. It's kind of less useful, bogged down with, I mean, SEO has really fucked Google's usefulness as a search engine. Like, like uh, it was a vague notion, maybe in 2016. Now it's like a day-to-day, -day, a daily problem for me. Uh, but let's just assume technically Google is still the most effective search engine because, um, you're going to make a compromise using Encoja or Bing. They're not quite as good. DuckDuckGo is, I, I just don't use it. I've been using Bing recently, sometimes in certain cases, uh, and it's not all that rare, maybe in 15% of cases of searches that I've do, Bing has actually returned more relevant results than Google. Um, but again, that's an entirely different discussion. So yeah, there's one alternative. Um, Mastodon said this a billion times before, but, uh, Mastodon being the open source decentralized, uh, look Twitter-esque social network that I've advocated for a billion, you know, lots. There's a interview with its creator in this podcast archive. 
Um, you don't have to know what any of those words mean. There's a relevant tweet actually, and I probably should look it up, but you don't have to care about privacy or centralization or any of this actually to adopt some of these alternatives, Mastodon namely. Mastodon is literally a better social network. It's a better better experience. Um, I probably talked about the Facebook. Did I say last episode I'm about to publish the Facebook essay? Still haven't done it. Um, that discusses a lot of those alternatives. But I said in my letterbox review and in this post, I should note, literally, if you are hearing this and you're like, I would like to know more about that, but you don't know where to go next. Um, if you're comfortable with it and that like, if it sounds easiest to you, grandma and grandpa, call me. My number is 573-823-4380 or text me davidblue at extratone.com. Send me an email. I will straight up sit down with you and go answer any questions um, that you may have. Why haven't you heard about them before? Well, because Google controls Google and Twitter, um, largely because nothing ever enters the mainstream space and technology until it becomes a financial prospect, which Akoja is certainly not, Mastodon's not really. Um, but also because, you know, uh, there's no incentive for, for you to be exposed to them. Uh, business-wise. Um, but yeah, th this film did not mention any of them. Now, I did find an alternatives page in the Data Detox Kit, which is a part published by an adjacent organization to the organization that, that did the movie. In the Data Detox Kit, there is an alternatives page, which uh, when you actually go to the, the website, it's difficult to find. Um, but on that alternatives page, namely, lots of Firefox products. First thing, uh, basically, that the, that the page argues is you need to switch to Firefox immediately, of course. Um, the Facebook container browser extension for Firefox, done by Firefox, <laughs> it surmises that you can browse Facebook and control the, the shit they track from you. Um, the terminology here, data detox. Privacy has nothing to do with detoxifying the, tox the toxicity that we're dealing with here, which has to do with the words social media addiction, email addiction, as funny as it is. Um, echo chambers. Yeah, yes, privacy sort of has to, but you're, here's something that you need to get to grips with. If you are still bothered by the idea of anonymized data being collected about you, you need, you literally, not to be harsh, but you need to start considering um, abstaining from the internet because there is no option. There is not, there is no, basically no like realistic or feasible way to browse the internet without being tracked in some way. Um, and I think that, that like going down the avenue of trying to control the tracking is such a waste of time. Um, for one thing, it's, it's futile. Uh, and the way that they talk about privacy is that it's like as this positive commodity, as something you can get more of, like make sure to get your privacy before we run out. Um, and again, privacy has nothing to do with you feeling awful about your use of social media. Um, and if the film did make you feel uncomfortable about your relationship with your phone, et cetera, et cetera, uh, frankly, what needs to be stated is like, are, are really simple things. Like basically you gotta put it down. <laughs> you gotta put your phone down. You gotta turn it off. You gotta remove it. Maybe not cold turkey for social media. Um, one thing I noted is like, I probably had a social media or notification addiction at some point. I remember when like my phone got a lot more screen time that was just me noticing things that other people had setting. Uh, no one engages with my shit. I've talked about this before. Everything's dropped off. I have no friends. Um, and that's kind of like weaned me into a state where maybe um, I'm sure people in my life think that I'm addicted to technology and in other ways, certainly but not a notification. 
I'm rambling, but that's what this podcast is for. Solutions, turn off all your notifications on your phone and instead set a time to check on updates from email or Twitter, even if that time is literally every 15 minutes at first. Um, that is such a great way to immediately begin um, realigning yourself with the way you use the internet. Anyway, um, yeah, I really would. You have a choice of social medias. That's what I, and uh, a lot of them are really great. A lot of them are better in a lot of ways. A lot of them are literally, like Twitter has been stealing features from Mastodon for years now. Voice tweets, Mastodon support, supported audio posts like 18 months ago, and you can customize the album art and upload like a 40 megabyte MP3, okay? Um, the issue which I've tried to contend with, continue to try to contend with in my Facebook essay, which will be published someday, is of course the people that you, the, the people, your people, your friends, your family, jumping off into a new social media now that social media is not a place to meet people with similar interests and engage with them to discover them. Discovery is not a thing with any social media right now. Um, which if you uh, were originally on Twitter or forums or IRC, fucking email lists, that was what made it, what made the internet fun is discovering people. Please remember that. But um, you don't have to immediately abandon Facebook and go to Mastodon. There's a really handy tool that cross posts between Twitter and Mastodon. Set that up and just start posting automatically. Whatever you post on Twitter, just will post to Mastodon. See who turns up, check it. Yeah. Um, also another thing, all right, I'm gonna move on. But the whole, huh, you know, yeah, it's really funny to post on Facebook that you're taking a break from Facebook. There's a reason people do that, by the way. It's not just senseless or whatever. Um, there's a legitimate reason behind that and it's accountability. It's holding yourself accountable. Uh, yeah, so feel free to, to post on Facebook, hey, I'm taking a break. Or just fucking disappear and see what happens. I know for many of you, um, I that there would be no professional consequences for me if I did that, so I, I keep that in mind. Okay, let's move on. Thanks for bearing with me on that. That post can be found, uh, of course, at bilge.world slash the hyphen social hyphen dilemma. Um, so the new iPhone, the iPhone 12 came out. Uh, I love that there's a smaller phone. It's not small enough, the iPhone mini. Um, I love that it looks more like the iPhone 4, which debatably is the most beautiful piece of consumer technology design ever. But 5G, I'm gonna try to be as brief as I can. So two years ago when I had a, a it's not that I didn't have internet, the crucial thing is that I just had a trickle. I had basically more or less dial-up speeds. It taught me so much about, or maybe like put into perspective, how wasteful we are with data now, with bandwidth. Um, there's an environmental impact, yes. And the numbers we're talking about are crazy. One example that I'd love to bring up, uh, iOS updates. Nameless iOS updates to apps like, okay, I think there was a Twitter app, Twitter update, Twitter for iOS yesterday that I downloaded, 122 megabytes. That's six times the entire hard drive space of a computer from the 80s. Um, that wouldn't be like, that'd be a ridiculous comparison, except it's very possible, especially with text, to operate like normally day-to-day, -day, the files that you're making, exchanging, you know, this is a hard one, um, to be like kilobits, still possible. Uh, 122 megabytes, and of course the release notes are just, we make, you know, changes regularly to the update. How, what the fuck is 122 megabytes? That's actually huge. That's a big update. What could have possibly changed? Why are there regular 100 plus megabyte updates, 500 megabyte updates to to phone applications that yield no visible change in functionality, features, anything? We really need to get back on that. I know it sounds petty, but like it's wasteful. 5G, the numbers that they're talking about for 5G, two gigabits per second down in ideal conditions. Why? What are you doing on your phone? 
And why right now in the middle of the pandemic where we're all staying at home, why is this a priority or something we're excited about? Faster mobile data speeds. I mean, my my average on Sprint, which is not the best network, and this is not the strongest area, I'm in Missouri for them. Like, I don't know, it's like 20 megabits, megabits per second down. It's not all that reliable. Sometimes it's an issue not being able to load what I want. But like those things, like the reliability has nothing to do <laughs> with upping to two, like one gigabit per second download speeds. Never ever could any handset, could a dozen handsets make use of that speed. Why? And why is no one being like, just this isn't what we need? <laughs> Invest in a more reliable connection. Invest in an infrastructure that makes connections more reliable and widespread. Invest in spreading mobile broadband to where it still isn't in a lot of the world, in the Western world even. Oh, but that, yeah, that's a given, I guess. Um, digital access, a big topic, but we're gonna move on. I installed WordPress, I caved in and did it. DavidBlue.WTF, the domain. I uh, moved to DreamHost because I just wanted to try it. It's great-ish. There was a huge down, uh, like downtime a few weeks ago. I don't know what's going on with DreamHost, but anyway, I am just basically fiddling around with WordPress. The default theme, modifying it. Is there anything interesting to say about that? Uh, one, uh, I've learned that actually going back and reading about the history of word processing, blocks, as in the Gutenberg blocks that everyone was so worried about, like changing it from being a I don't know, linear line by line composition interface to composing in blocks. Blocks were from the very beginning, the ideal. Word start, you manually mark blocks and other word processors, but you manually, manually mark blocks and then move them around. Text blocks. Yeah, not a new thing. Um, <laughs> I was running a, a Windows Insider build on my Microsoft Surface laptop too, because I, I love running beta, beta software uh, because, well, basically because like the consequences that one used to associate with beta software are more or less non-existent these days. Like, yes, I put the iOS developer beta on my my daily driver phone with zero actual consequences. Granted, I don't make phone calls, so you know what? <laughs> but like, um, beta software just like, it's uh, all software is such a mess now, I guess. The betas can't be that much more of a mess. Anyway, so I run like Chrome Canary, which is like the uh, the most on the edge, night updates, experimental, nothing. You can just use it as, it's just Chrome. Um, but uh, I finally experienced significant, like severe consequences from my Insider build. Uh, when I installed the Insider build, basically nothing changed except at first, just my webcam was broken. Just not recognized, try doing, like reinstalling the driver, forcing Windows to reinstall the driver, updating the driver, manually reinstalling the driver, going to old versions of the driver. Uh, and Windows just didn't see my webcam. And I was like, huh, well, wasn't an issue until I was about to go to school and I had to go like actually be seen in Zoom classrooms. So I came back to that and I was like, okay, I'm gonna fix it. Um, and I, I did a thing, I checked disk is a, is a tool, old Windows tool. I don't know what it does, but it's one of those troubleshooting things that if you really get into uh, like hardware and stuff, you use check disk. I, my crucial error was not running check disk. It was running check disk with the instruction to fix. I did that and Windows was broken. It would restart and then it would say like, hold on, we're trying to fix it. And then eventually it would take me to uh, a BIOS-esque menu, it's a Windows menu that's like, do you want to restore or like recover Windows? Recovery never fucking worked. I tried to make a recovery drive with my mom's Mac, that didn't work. 
I literally went to a local computer store and was like, um, will you make me a recovery thumb drive for Windows 10? They're like, yeah, but don't tell it. It's really funny. They're like, yeah, we're just selling you a thumb drive. Whatever happens to be on it as if it's, I don't know. Anyway, that didn't work. You know what worked? I put Windows or I put Ubuntu, good old Ubuntu on a thumb drive. And it was Ubuntu that allowed me to go, uh, not recover Windows, but so I did lose some files. Um, I'm just brushing past that. I don't know what they were. I'll never know. So I'm just not even worried about it. Uh, <laughs> most of my files were OneDrive, clouded. Um, so yeah, Ubuntu is what allowed me to to uh, start everything over, repartition, and then reinstall Windows 10. But yeah, so I finally broke Windows. Uh, and yes, on my new desktop, I am not running the Insider build. Um, boy, oh boy, I'm really getting into it. Uh, I'm not going to be able to cover everything I wanted to in this episode, but that's okay. Another service I discovered, um, I, I so one of the reasons why I, I created a WordPress blog is, is because I wanted to do like little reviews. That's what it's literally called. Little reviews, davidblue.wtf slash little, I believe. Uh, just, I don't know, somehow, inevitably, Bilge is just a blog. Inevitably, I felt the pressure to like compose a certain way um, or make reviews of software a certain way, even though literally no one reads them. So I don't know why. But I just want to do like little anecdotes. Those turn into more than I ever wanted to anyway. Anyway, Raindrop is a um, bookmarking service. It's a lot more than that, but developed by one person that I'd never heard of. But literally within minutes after hearing about it, I was subscribed to the premium service. Raindrop allows for public collections of bookmarks with tags. Uh, it saves copies of the web page, um, which I think is a big thing. Pocket do that? There's so many scrapers. Notion's web scraper is fucking crazy, by the way. I don't know why it's so good. Uh, well, it's so good in, in specific, most of the time. And then there are specific uh, use cases where it just refuses to be useful. Um, raindrop.io. If you go to davidblue.wtf slash magazine, I posted this on Instagram, which I'm sure no one actually got. Um, it'll take you to my digital magazine collection, which is actually like, it's like 230 something links to magazines on the web. Represents a lot of time, a lot of browsing. Um, it's not like I'm doing like 30 a day. It's like one every few weeks I discover. Uh, that's a, like, the way that Raindrop presents it, uh, there's just a big update two days ago, um, is beautiful, and you can actually change the way, I don't know, I can't describe this over audio. Basically, it makes Pocket look really stupid, notably. Um, it's got, a, a very configurable browser extension, um, with a keyboard shortcut and tags, uh, there are collections, nested collections and tags, how it organizes bookmarks. Um, I actually did a YouTube tutorial on, like, I wanted to take my Discord reading list, uh, which is like been where the compact channel in the Extra Tone Discord, um, that was, that's been my reading list. That's been my pocket for year, five years now. Um, I wanted to export that, take the, using the Discord chat exporter, take that HTML file and import it into Raindrop. Raindrop imports bookmark files, this format dates back to Netscape. It's a Netscape bookmark file format. Uh, so it's not, it's a very specific, it's a specific format within HTML. I published a video on how to get a Discord export into that format so you can import them. Um, not on Extra Tone's YouTube channel. Uh, if you search Discord links to Raindrop on YouTube, it's the first one. <laughs> um, <laughs> using a $30 webcam. Uh, but yeah. Raindrop is a, is a really cool tool. Like in tandem with Notion, it's changed the way that I've browsed the web for the first time in a very long time, changed the way that I've done research. I don't know if it's good yet. It seems like I've spent a lot of time fiddling with these tools instead of actually browsing. 
but it's okay. I'm not going to, as much as I wanted to cover digital gardens, it's going to be a topic for another time. Um, because it's just, go to tomcritchlow.net, search for digital garden. Look at his, it's a, it's a term that refers to um, cultivating one's knowledge um, that in a way that it is not linear as the web has become. But I won't say any more about that. Um, I got a mechanical keyboard. I posted about the mechanical keyboard. If you're interested in that, davidlu.wtf. Uh, I'm not going to mention it again. I already broke my rule because I said in the post that I wasn't going to mention it again. I like it though. It's pretty cool. I hate Kindles, but I've uh, got my mom's old Kindle Fire. I don't, still don't understand like when it was made. Like 2016, I think, but it's got a fucking camera in it, but no apps that take... Uh, I hate Kindles, but um, going to school, digital textbooks, uh, actually like reading at length, sitting at a desktop doesn't really work. Or it does, but it's like not ideal. I don't know. I've made some use of it. Not as much as I thought I would. It's sitting in the corner of my room on the floor. Um, oh, I got a notice from my ISP for, I guess I torrented. I don't remember torrenting it, but I was looking for a copy of my public speaking textbook. It's an awful textbook written by a guy. It's not really a textbook. It's one man, not peer reviewed. Uh, it's like, but, uh, I got an ISP notice being like, oh, you can't, like, this is a DMCA violation, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... I can't really say anything about the Kindle other than um, it doesn't like, why hasn't Adobe come up with a hardware line of PDF e-readers? Because the Kindle does not handle PDFs well. It's not ideal. It only handles .mobi files, which are Amazon's native ebook file, I think. Like that's the only file that like you actually enable the actual e-reader features. Otherwise, it's just a fucking tablet reading a PDF, which is still not ideal. Um, Boy, oh boy. Uh, let's see. I think I should, you know, I should just end this there. Um, that was an update. I'm so, sorry that I rambled so much. Uh, the no, going back to Notion, it's, it's worth noting that most of my work in Notion, like as it goes on, is publicly viewable. It's the kind of, so you can literally watch me working on my schoolwork if you want. Like literally all of my notes, like all of my note taking process right now is publicly viewable on all of this, including the notes to this episode. Um, if you're interested, davidblue.wtf slash wiki will take you to a index page. Uh, slash social will take you to a social directory where you, I can be found wrapping this up. I've been trying to keep it updated. Um, there were so many more things I wanted to talk about, but yeah. Uh, right now I'm working on a review of Microsoft, the Microsoft browsing experience. Edge Chromium is somehow really fucking good. Uh, but the basically the experience just includes Bing. I'm hoping to finish that up soon. Um, I'm hanging out in the Microsoft community discord. There's an official one in the office channel giving tips. Unfortunately, most of the time when people come there seeking tips, they're seeking them seeking Excel tips. I know nothing about Excel. I know Word very well. If you know how to, <laughs> please, if you, in one note, uh, which I should be using, but I just, I would, except I can't, the text is movable in, we're just saying text blocks, but it's not text blocks. It's just, does anyone know how to anchor the text to set one note to just have, to be normal notes documents that are linear and not just haphazard? If you know that, please contact um at neo yokel on twitter uh david blue at mastodon.social mastodon uh oh redirection i posted a thing extra tone there was this cool feature i thought it was cool where i set up using the redirection plugin by john godley which i literally reviewed a plugin on davidblue.wtf a wordpress press plugin because or not reviewed it but just talked about it because it's so powerful basically allows you to set any um directory on your domain as a redirect anywhere on the web so uh 
for Extratone, if you went to extratone.com slash Facebook, it would redirect you to the Extratone Facebook slash Twitter to the Extratone Twitter. Yeah. I'm working on that for davidblue.wtf. If you really want to find, if you've been listening to this whole thing, I'm like, God, I'm so intrigued by this guy. You can find me. Bilge.world, davidblue.wtf. Um, I'm going to stop talking now, but maybe I'll come back sooner and it won't be five months. Or maybe I'll be dead. I don't know. I'm just working on writing with light. Track Changes is such a good book, man. We'll talk about it for hours. But yeah. This has been episode seven of End User. I hope you had fun. Wake up and good morning.